0: Really? Yeah, we've got issues with doubt because we have, you know, the we're we're, for for us, it's all everything is to be questioned all the time. Which I don't think God has a problem with the scientific method. I I think in the end, science will prove out God is correct. But uh, the the way the scientific method works is our current explanation that has not yet been disproved is the one we. Used to explain everything when we don't have all the necessary information. That's it. does that make sense? I hope. Let's pray and then we'll. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> Keep coming, the Holy Spirit. Come to you once again. Lord, and we ask you to do a miracle in this room. We ask you to teach us the things that are beyond knowledge, to give us an understanding of things that are too big for puny human minds to understand. We ask you to take things from fact and make them experiential knowledge in our hearts. Lord, I ask for revelation. Lord, I pray with the Apostle Paul, even as we are going into this prayer today that you would uh, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ Jesus, that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened, that we might know the hope of our calling, that we might know the your glorious inheritance in the saints, and that we might come to believe in the surpassing greatness of the power that you have toward us who believe. Lord, I pray. For more than head knowledge, I want something deep, something that will change me, something that will be planted in my soul and grow for a harvest of righteousness for your name's (coughs) sake. We ask this that you may be glorified and that we might enjoy you. In Jesus' name, amen. okay we ended in verse 10 last week of Ephesians chapter 1 Thanks, man. boy it'd be cool to get all the way through the end of the chapter today but I don't know that that would that, that that's 11 verses so we're gonna uh-huh. really move <laughs> and that's all the verses we've covered in class up until now so' <laughs> oh. Yeah, I felt like prayer this morning. Um, I felt like some things shifted. Um, I don't even know what. I just when we walked out of there, I was like, "Ooh, it just feels different." So that's cool. I'm excited to see what God did. I, uh, I we we got to get a hold of this fact that we've been given the keys to the kingdom, and that when we lose something on earth, it's loosed in heaven, and and that's that's how that's why prayer is so important, and that's why corporate prayer, where there's more than one person, Jesus said, "Where two or three of you are gathered, and you ask anything in my name, there is there is an increase." An exponential increase of authority when believers are in agreement together, and uh, and things get moved in the spirit realm when we when we agree with one another. Um, and I do. I just felt like some stuff got uh, some of the plans of the enemy got cru- got br- uh, crushed and broken. I felt like some some plant some attacks that he is was planning against maybe one person, maybe all of us, I don't know, we're, we're just screwed up uh, by our prayer and, and worship time this morning, so I I don't know, that's kind of cool though, that's exciting. Um, we talked a lot last week about the unseen and stuff that goes on um, above our field of natural uh, experience and understanding, and we really want everybody in this room to understand that what happens in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm is it's not just, it's not spooky. It's not, uh, it's not flaky or weird or hyper spiritual doing battle in the heavenlies is incredibly practical, unbelievably practical until the battles really won there. We can't accomplish anything down here. We just can't do it. And, and, As ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every single one of you, you got to get a hold of this reality. You got to understand that if the battle's not being fought in the heavenlies, then nothing's moving on the earth. It just doesn't work. You can preach the exact same sermon with the exact same eloquence, with the exact same charisma and force of will. And in one service, you'll see hundreds of people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in another service, you'll see nobody. And the whole difference is the atmosphere and what's happening over our heads. And it's really easy for us scientific Americans to, you know, who, who really only really believe what we see with our own two eyes to kind of say, eh, you know, to not, to think that's not important. The Lord, I, I asked the Lord one time why it was so hard for me to to stir up a prayer life, uh, you know, to really be a vibrant person of prayer all the time, like consistently. Because I go through seasons where, like, you know, God's beat me with a prayer stick and, and I'm just like Mr. Intercessor, you know, and it's just like, rah, right? and right? And, and, and then I go through seasons where, if I don't purposefully say to myself, I'm going to talk to Jesus today, I won't. Now, everybody goes through that, but my my I just took it before the Lord and said, I mean, I was in one of those dry seasons where, where I was having to kind of, you know, every day I was having to say, no, I need to talk to the Lord today and really stir myself up in that way. And, um, and I went to the Lord and I just said, Lord, what, what is my problem? Why? Why is why am I prayerless? And the Lord said, Well, that's easy. You don't believe that prayer does anything. Don't you love it when God just drop kicks you? <laughs> that's what it was like. I was like, Bleh. Of course I believe prayer does things. No, if you believed that prayer did things, you would never, you would pray all the time. If you had a button on your desk that every time you pushed it a million dollars was put in your bank account, well, how often would you leave your desk? <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd be you'd be back there, boop 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 boop, every single time, right? Just keep going, okay? You just because every minute you're not pressing that button, that's a million bucks gone down the drain, right? Okay. Well, prayer is far prayer is far more powerful than that. I always think of Star Wars. I'm a big Star Wars guy, and I'm trying to decide when I'm going to go see the new film. Um, I, I promise. What? Oh, Can I, right? I have your ticket?
1: Right? Oh, right. worked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I promised my my boys that oh, yeah. I would not go see it without them, so I'm going to have to find. Yeah, because they're like you, you. We know you're just going to go see it without us. Ready? Oh. <laughs> they have good reason to think that because I've seen like I saw the new Bond film and they haven't seen it yet you know, I saw them. It's without well, them. I did is it good? yeah it was good
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just read the parents thing on IMDB and
1: I'm...
0: <laughs> I don't use LinkedIn anymore IMDB is better anyway LinkedIn only has like a few movies like have you ever noticed like you go look for IMDB like every movie has a parents guide Which is awesome. I love it. Anyway, so I've seen lots of movies that they've had to like wait for a long time before you know. So that's why they're mad at me. But anyway, it's like Star Wars. There's this scene in the first in the 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 Star Wars Episode Four where um, where they're talking about the Death Star and how it can blow up a planet, and Darth Vader turns to the guy and says, "The ability to destroy a planet." Is insignificant next to the power of the force, and I think about that. I think about we don't understand prayer; we really don't, because we would feel like that. We'd be walking around saying, "The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of prayer." That's what we—that's what we would say, you know. And if somebody like starts talking against it, we would like force choke them and say, "Your lack of faith disturbs me," right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we would do,
0: you know. I—that used to be like my ringtone. On my phone, when think when I used to have lots of uh, interesting ringtones. Oh well, I still have my. If you send me a text message, it is the it is a lightsaber going off when I when I have it on. Um, but I used to have Money Python, the guy saying, "Help, help! I'm being repressed," <laughs> and you, like Yoda, like Yoda going like, <laughs> you know. Anyway, just carrying around proof positive that I'm a complete nerd. Yeah, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I do have a TARDIS on my shelf in my office. He (laughs) has coconuts. I do. I do have coconuts. I have hobbit knives as well. (laughs) When they gave me those coconuts... I handed them to my intern at the time and said, come, Patsy, and we walked through the church with him going, (laughs) (laughs) he was really bad at it, so I finally had to just be like, no, it's like this, I had to show him how it works. No, it was Aaron Kimball at the time. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that's how we should feel about prayer. We should honestly, we should be tapped into how powerful this resource is that God's given us. And we should wield it, you know, like a lightsaber, really. I mean, just like this thing, is powerful. And we don't. And, and it, that's why we don't pray. We don't pray because we just don't, because we don't really believe. If we honestly believed prayer worked, we would pray all the time. We would be a praying people. But there is, the enemy has sown so many seeds of doubt in our mind that, and that's really the wall that keeps us from being a praying people. So, I'm praying for myself and for all of you that God will break down that wall of doubt and teach us to believe that when we pray, things change. I just, I'm asking for that. So, speaking of prayer, we are going to, let's see. No, I can't do that. I was going to skip to the. Hot to the to the prayer here, but I I don't want to do that. Okay, um, we'll bop down to verse fifteen here because it re- starts us off in the in the. This is the this is the beginning of one of two really my two favorite prayers of the Apostle Paul in Scripture are in the Book of Ephesians, and this is the first one. And um, so we're going to spend today on this prayer um, and the like sentence preamble before, uh, before the prayer and, and really just dive into this. Whenever you see a prayer for, that's written down by the Apostle Paul, just, just w- learn that prayer and adopt it and use it. Because this is the Apostle Paul, you know, the, the greatest of the apostles, and he is praying for the church. He was praying for you. He's praying for the church, for the followers of Jesus Christ that would hear his message. And and it's really interesting to see the things that Paul asks God to do for the church. You will never see the Apostle Paul ask God to give the church money. You will never see the Apostle Paul ask God to keep the church uh, from being persecuted. You will never see the Apostle Paul ask God to do almost anything temporal at all. His, the Apostle Paul's prayers for the church were always about uh, what they understood about God and what they understood about themselves. That was his prayer, always, for the church. And um, the, the different prayers that are throughout Scripture from him and from other apostles are treasures, and we should we should definitely be looking at those. So today we'll spend some time on this first one. So he starts off, For this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Okay? I'm stopping there because he says, he says, when I heard you were saved, and he he gives these two pieces to their salvation. The first one is their faith in in the gospel message. Okay? When I heard about your faith, and the Apostle Paul dedicated his life to spreading the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was his whole, this is everything that he lived and died for. He was stoned for this. He was, uh, he got the, the, the you know, the maximum physical beating that you can get by the Roman government twice for this. Okay, with the 39 lashes. The same lashes Jesus had happened to him before the cross. Paul had it done to him two different times. Okay, Paul was shipwrecked multiple times. He was thrown in prison multiple times. He was deathly ill multiple times. And it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I must preach the gospel. So he says, when I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, he is excited about that. There's people in Ephesus who have Faith in the in this message in the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that's amazing. But then right alongside it, he puts another phrase. You see, I think any of us would be excited about that that first one. Okay, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think all of us, when we hear about like a revival going on in another nation and thousands of people, millions of people being won to Christ, and this big sweeping thing, you know, when when uh, you know I've heard in the there's this massive revival going on in. Uh, China and has been for multiple years where at different times there's been about a million people a month coming to Christ. Okay, that's insane. But you realize that with a billion people in China it would take a thousand months to save everyone. Okay, so that's right. Right? So a million people a month in in a country that has a billion people in it that's, I mean, it's not a small thing by any stretch, but that's anyway. A million people a month coming to Christ. Yeah, right? We're all excited about that. And when we hear somebody got saved, oh, that's awesome. And we would probably end the sentence there. Boy, when I heard about your faith, I was so I that's when I started praying for you because but the Apostle Paul put something else there. And it's something I want to draw to your attention, something that's really, really important. Okay? And it's this: he says, and your love for all the saints, your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for the saints. He puts those on on level ground with each other. You see that? We don't do that in our culture. We have books out there that says, I love Jesus, but not the church. Okay, And they're really popular. Yeah, there's there's a really popular book out there. It says they lo- they love Jesus but not the church. Go you know, check it out. It's talking about how the church is messed up and and you know, people will follow Jesus but but the example the church has shown in our current culture has turned a lot of people off. But the apostle Paul says the faith in faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints. Why does he put it in there? Why is that sentence there? Somebody any ideas? You guys are so talkative today. Why did the apostle Paul, he said, your faith? He said, "At since I heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints." So why did why is that second part there? We I don't think our culture would put that second part there. I don't think that that would be all, that we would be all that excited about the fact that they love the saints. But the Apostle Paul obviously is. So why? <sighs> Have I really stumped everybody or you just don't no. feel like talking today?
1: Is it like an opinionated answer?
0: What? Like, what do you think? Because we're all one body <laughs> Jesus said, They will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. That's what he said. So the Apostle Paul says, I am glad to hear that you have faith in Christ Jesus. But the proof's in the pudding, you love all the saints. Their love for the saints is proof that the gospel message is at work on the inside of them. hear that? Now, have you been told before that your love for God's people is proof that God is at work in you? Because I don't think we talk about it very much. Your absolute passion for the body of Christ is the proof that the gospel of Jesus Christ is at work on the inside of you. This is what Jesus said. The world will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Did it say because you sing really cool worship songs? No. Did it even say because you lay hands on the sick and they're healed or you cast out demons or you prophesy? No, none of those things are proof of salvation. Proof of salvation for Jesus is that you have an honest love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what the gospel creates in the human heart. The gospel creates love in the human heart. And if there's no love, there's no gospel. I remember the first time this like, rea- this reality just punched me in the face. Is I was praying through the book of 1 Timothy. And I got to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Just want to, it's become a life verse for me. But the end of that verse says this, he says, Timothy, the end of our charge is love. And I just got stopped by that because this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. You know this gospel that I die for every day I'm dying? That's That's what the Apostle Paul said. We die all day long. That's what he said. So he's constantly putting his life on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He so said, "You know when, I, when when I know that my mission with someone is, at, is, is that I have accomplished what I wow. set out to accomplish is when love is being produced out of their heart. That's when I know. When I know that the gospel has taken root in a human life, the, the fruit of that is real love. How oh, do you know that in Galatians, when when it lists the fruit of the Spirit, the word fruit is singular, and it lists a whole bunch of things? Why? Because the first one is the actual fruit, and the rest is just a description of the fruit. What's the first one? The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, kindness, gentleness, self. All those things are just what love looks like. Those are dimensions of love. Those are love lived out. Love manifested. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. The Apostle Paul was after the gospel being released into human hearts and love coming, pouring out of us. What were Jesus' first and second greatest commandments? And... Absolutely. We talk all the time about God's love for us, but we are we so rarely mention the reality that uh, that love is the evidence of the work of God in the human heart. Next time you think about where you are with Christ, I want you to begin thinking about how much you love the men and the women that you are doing life with right now. That is the true reflection of how much you're growing. And when I say love, I don't mean that you like them. Oh, you're a nice person. I mean that you are willing to put them before you. That they are more important than you are. That's what love looks like. When Jesus wanted to demonstrate love, he he got nailed to the cross. That's what love looks like. Anybody know who Dennis Jernigan is? It's a worship leader from the 90s. He was actually um, a gay man before he was, before Christ encountered him. God changed his life completely and he started writing all these songs. It's kind of old school style music. But there's this one song called When I Fell in Love with You. And there's this there's this uh, line in it that always gets me. He says, I heard your love song from the cross. That line has always just grabbed me. I heard the love song you were singing on the cross. Jesus on the cross is the picture of what love is supposed to look like. Putting someone else before yourself. You know, Jesus said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then much later on, at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. He said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. He said that the day before he stretched out his arms and was nailed to the cross. He was saying, watch the example that I'm about to lay down in front of you. That's what loving one another looks like. That's what Christian community is supposed to look like. You dying for someone else's life. Laying down your own rights to release someone else to their full potential. That's what love looks like. And by the way, that's what leadership looks like also. Most of you that are here in this room are here because you believe God has called you to a place of leadership in the body of Christ. Don't you dare attempt to take a place of leadership in the body of Christ until you understand this. That leadership in the body of Christ is about you serving people and releasing them to their full potential. It is not about you lording authority over someone else. It is about you laying your life down for them so that they can be all that God streamed over them. That's what marriage is in the kingdom. That's what friendship is in the kingdom. That's what parenthood is in the kingdom. Taking on the example of Christ, Pouring out your own self so that someone else can be all that God has dreamed for them. That's, that's it. So when the Apostle Paul says, I was so glad when I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I, when I see love, I know the gospel's at work. In both Philemon and Colossians, Paul makes the same kind of statement. I saw your faith and your love. That's how I know this is the real thing. What would he say about some of our churches? (coughs) Since then, I have not ceased giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And here we begin the prayer in verse 17. Is there any questions at this point? Before we jump in. Here's his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's kind of the the end of the prayer. Paul does a very Paul thing and goes off on a whole other tangent there. And that's okay. He says, In accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's where the prayer really ends. So, Here's the things that he's praying. Okay. The first thing that he prays for is that the father of glory, well, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What's wisdom? Somebody tell me what's wisdom. No, that's the beginning of wisdom, (laughs) but thank you. I appreciate that. It's somebody else. What's wisdom? Just give me a definition. Is like,
1: it's almost like or but it's like, it's like a deeper understanding Okay. That's
0: Yes. That's, that's my favorite definition of wisdom. It's my favorite working definition of wisdom. It's beyond just what you know, but you have a practical understanding of how to apply that knowledge. That's my favorite definition of wisdom. There's probably a couple more. Okay. Spirit of wisdom, okay, so and then and revelation. So, what's revelation? Do you know what this word is in the Greek? Apocalypsis, okay, it means an uncovering, an unveiling, Ta-da! right? So, <laughs> what revelation is, and that's what the name of the final book of the Bible is, is the uncovering. Okay? Now, what, what's being uncovered in the final book of the Bible? Huh? No. You were in my class last year, and you still say that? What is the book of Revelation about? The very first sentence of the book of Revelation says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who's being unveiled? What's being unveiled? Jesus is being unveiled. Jesus is being uncovered. Okay, so you got to get a hold of that. Go read the book of Revelation, but read it to find out who Jesus is. Don't read it to find out when the rapture is going to happen. That's interesting, but but go read it to find out who Jesus is. If you want to know when the rapture is going to happen, it's out on the podcast. You can go look at it.
1: <laughs>
0: anyway. So, God the Father, the Apostle Paul is saying, Father God, I ask that you give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So, in this case, wisdom is to actually understand what we already know. Okay? Yeah. I know that if I stick my finger in a light socket, I'm going to get shocked. But I have a whole nother understanding of it when I go and put my finger in the light socket, right? Okay. Now the Greek word for that kind of understanding is called epinosis, which means experiential knowledge of a thing. It's like when you say, oh, I know that town like the back of my hand. Okay. I know it. Why? Because I've been there. I've walked the streets. I know it. I know every inch of Fort Wayne because I've lived here for 37 years, Right. Okay? I know it. It's the same word that's used when a husband knows his wife. He has experiential knowledge of her. Okay? This is the word that we're talking about. And when the Apostle Paul prays for the spirit of wisdom, what he's asking is that all these facts that we have like about God, like up here in our head, that they will make the 18 inch journey from here to here. That all of a sudden it will not just be random facts that we know about God, but it will be realities that live in our heart that change who we are, that change what we do, that change how we think and feel and act. I'm in the middle of writing a blog post right now. It's taking me forever, but it's called "The Why It's Important What We Believe. Because belief becomes action. And we want... Your knowledge of God, you guys are stuffing your head full of knowledge of God and I love that. But has it moved its way to your heart yet? Because that's what the Spirit of Wisdom will do. The Spirit of Wisdom will take stuff that you know about God. I know that God is infinite. But then he's going to give you a taste of what infinity is. What that really means. It's going to give you just a little bit of a a whiff of infinity and you're going to go, all of your your circuits will just be completely blown because you're going to see, no, infinity means like infinity. One of the books that has been such a huge help for me in some of these things is The Knowledge of the Holy. If you've ever read A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy, (sighs) it will just... Blow your mind and when you've recovered and like pulled your pulled the pieces of your skull back together and sewed them back together, then you read another sentence and, and there it goes again. Because Tozer's just anointed with that where, where he starts to just rip the covers off the beauty of God and you're just sitting there going, This is all I ever wanted. Jesus said that eternal life was this, to know the one epinosis, to know, to have experiential knowledge of the glory of God, to stand face-to-face with the, with the Creator and live. That's what the Apostle Paul is praying for them. So he wants to take the facts that you already know and make them something real on the inside. And then revelation is he wants God to give you new knowledge that you didn't have before not just deepen the knowledge you already have but to take to give you brand new understandings of who he is have you ever had something that you've that that you thought you knew and then you like spending time in prayer or in the word and all of a sudden god just goes but what if you look at it like this and you're like ah! you know right i mean it's just all of a sudden you're like no i never thought about it that way okay Right? Have you had that happen as you're reading the Word of God? All of a sudden something just jumps off the page and slaps you in the face? You're like, ah! Right? I mean, come on. That's what I'm talking about. This is what the Apostle Paul is praying for you. Because this is what will root you in God. Because this is what you were created to desire. This is what you were created to long for. What you were created to live for. To, 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 to. Pant like the like the deer pants after the brooks of water, so my soul pants after you, oh God. This is what that's talking about. It's an, I want you, oh, I want you. I want to experience the reality of who you are. I want to have knowledge of God alive on my heart, like you know, powerful. We are never more alive than we're than when we're understanding who God is and who we are, and we're just, oh, when the gospel like just explodes on the inside of us, that's when we're alive and that's when we change. That's when who we are begins to shift to become more like Christ. It's in those places of experience. I'm not talking about experiencing things that aren't in God's word. I'm not talking about new revelation, you know, like the Book of Mormon. No. I'm talking about God revealing things to you that are already in his word that you just never saw before. That you never understood before. That you're getting a hold of. You may have read the verse a hundred times and all of a sudden you read it the hundred and first time and uh, it it becomes the greatest treasure of your life. It's like that, what happened to me with 1 Timothy 1.5. The end of our charge is love. It's like, whoa. That's what the Apostle Paul is praying for. That you would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. There is nothing greater, nothing more satisfying, nothing more delicious than the knowledge of God. I've talked to you guys about St. John of the cross, haven't I? This mystic from this Catholic mystic from like centuries ago, that was just, he was just a minor of the word of God. Like he would just, he dedicated his life to finding out more about God and he, there's this there's this quote of his that I that I love to quote where he says that he's had moments with God that were so delicious that to even talk about them makes him blush. Oh, yeah. blush. <laughs> you know, you just start thinking about what God did that day and you're like, oh geez. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> huh. I what. that's the stuff. That's the stuff. And that's what the Apostle Paul is praying for. For the church at Ephesus and for us. God. God. Give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's why I enjoy praying that prayer. I love praying it for people that are not ready for it. I really do. I love being like, God, give Daniel the spirit of wisdom and revelation. <laughs> I pray that you would so just blow his mind with something about you that he's just... Sitting on the banks of the river, like, like, uh, uh, I can't think of his name right now. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, just going,
1: "Um."
0: (laughs) for seven days, Ezekiel is sitting on the banks of the river. (laughs) Um. (laughs) You know, people walk up to him and they're like, whoa, what happened? And he's like, wheels. (laughs) Spinning wheel, then there's a wheel inside the wheel. Uh, you know, can you? That's that's what happened. God, I love it because at one point God picks up Ezekiel by his hair. Ezekiel was this crazy dude, man. I mean, it's he was he was just nuts. I, his relationship with God was kind of crazy, but God literally picked up Ezekiel by his hair. He's like, come over here, you know, just showed him some stuff. He was nuts. but anyway, anyway. You don't see me for seven days, you know. You know, I said, I you know. I love that. Back during the renewal days God would just show up in the room and 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 the whole room would be sitting like that. Like the whole room sometimes people would be laughing, sometimes they'd be crying, but the whole, but the what was really going on was everybody in the room was just going <laughs> and people would get so overwhelmed with the presence of God that they would they would look completely physically drunk. So that's what we called it. We called it getting drunk in the spirit because we didn't know what else to call it because that's what it looked like. You couldn't walk straight. You couldn't stand up. There was more than once where I was so overwhelmed by the presence that I couldn't get off the floor at all. I had a – I remember one particular prayer meeting. I had this friend of mine had to pick me up, put me over his shoulder and carry me to his car to take me home because I was going to miss curfew and my parents were going to be mad. (laughs) Because I could not move. I could not move a muscle in my body. I had no ability to do so at all. I was just laying on the floor. Okay. I, it's in, it was in, insane. And, and one of my favorite things to do was to, was to walk around and watch for people who were kind of coming out of that. And they'd just be like more lord and just like just my sister i remember one time in particular she got hit with the laughter thing and she had been laughing hysterically for over an hour and her sides were killing her and she's just like, just like... and she was just kind of like coming out of that when i walked over and said give her more jesus and she was like <laughs> So, you know, and like the, when she saw me come around again, she's like, you "Stay away from me!"
1: <laughs>
0: oh, it's <so> <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. They used to refer to me and and my friends as as altar vultures. Because <laughs> if God was up to something down there, we wanted to be in on it. Like period. We didn't care. And one time, in the midst of all that, we had, we had the Indiana District Council here at our church. (laughs) Oh, it was so awesome. One night at the end of the time, there was pastors from the district all just laid out all over the floor, just laughing hysterically. And most of them had never experienced anything like this in their lives. And there was, I remember walking walking by and there was this woman who had her husband by the hand and she's pulling him across the floor. (laughs) Get up! get up and he's like i can't i can't and he's, she's like you're embarrassing me <laughs> yeah. so i went over and said to my friend who was i was i was like I can't go pray for that pastor on the floor. <laughs> oh my gosh that's what he was praying for god blow everybody's circuits with the reality of who you are. Just at, do what you love to do. Give us the tiniest whiff of the reality of you, and we will have no capacity to, to contain it at all. Just, It's real. It's good. That's what he's praying for. I want them to know you in a, such a way that they can't contain it. And verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then we're going to verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So this is three requests that he's making. Well, it's actually four, but the first one leads to the next three. Okay, the first, that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened. That the eyes of your heart would be given the ability to see and understand. You know, it takes God, it takes the grace of God given to us to begin to understand the glory of who he is. The Holy Spirit is starting to move into this room right now. And, and some of you are in for something. So if you feel the Holy Spirit beginning to land on you, just feel free to just forget that I'm talking and just, I just feel the Holy Spirit moving in this room. And I think God is answering this prayer for some of you right now. So just get ready for that. Um, Holy Spirit, come, do what you love to do. I will continue to go, continue teaching until, unless you tell me to shut up. home spirit of wisdom and revelation
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Father, let the eyes of our hearts be enlightened. Would you give us the grace to see to experience, to know. Father, let the eyes of our hearts be in light. Father, I pray that things about you that we've been unable to see, let us see them. Sensing that there's several of you in this room right now that you've never really experienced the love of God. You know in your head that He loves you. You know it in your mind, but you, you've you never felt loved by Him. The Lord is enlightening the eyes of your heart right now to begin to, to experience, to feel the love of God for you. His fiery passion for you that burns hotter than the sun. He's washing away shame right now by the power of his love, just pouring it over you. There's several of you that have been, you've been just walking in a real place of shame, like you, you really hate yourself. That's not from the Lord. That's that, that emotion of shame does not come from the Holy Spirit. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I just... Release revelation of the love of God over you that shame may have no place in you, have no part in you any longer. I don't want you to be afraid. I know that shame has almost been how you've identified yourself. It's almost been your identity. The Lord says he's, he's removing your shame from you. He's, your new identity is one God loves God's favorite. That's who you are. Believe it. You don't have to protect yourself anymore. You don't have to put those walls up anymore. They're not necessary. What is your life going to be like when you don't have to defend yourself anymore? He's your protector. He's your beloved. Just let those walls fall down. Let him love you. Pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. There's three dimensions here of enlightenment the Lord through Paul wants us to have. If God's moving on your heart right now, do not leave that place. I just feel released to continue to move because I think that there's ministry that's going to happen out of each of these pieces. the first way that the Apostle Paul asks God to enlighten our hearts is that we would see what the hope of our calling is, the hope of his calling. When it says his calling, it's not talking about calling to ministry. I know that's how we usually use that word, but it's talking about your call, your call to salvation, that you've been called to become his. And the Lord, it is in God's heart that we would understand what He has dreamed when He dreamed about saving you. There's the bigger picture, like what has God up to in salvation, but this is intensely personal. What was in God's heart when He chose to die for you? You specifically. And what was he unleashing on the universe when he shed his blood for you? God wants you to know that. He wants you to understand his purpose in saving you individually. He wants you to have a grip on what who you are going to be for all of eternity and the reality of the glory of God that's going to be released in and through you from now until forever. There is something so special, so different about you that is not true. Things that are true about you that are not true about anyone else in the history of all creation. And God chose to save you. because he wanted to make that thing in you explode into full potential for all of eternity. He was turning a key in you that opened a door to an entire universe of his glory that only your heart can unleash upon the universe. There are angels that are going to be looking at you and seeing things about God that they have never seen before. And all the millennia they have surrounded God's throne, they won't see that reality about God until they see you. What was that? What is some of that? I don't know that we can know it fully, but I know that we can know some of it. The Apostle Paul says, what's the hope of his calling with you? I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would come to know the eternal purpose for which God has saved your soul. So, Father, begin to do that begin to open up our eyes, open up our hearts to, to see the worth that you've invested in us. To see the treasure that we are. In Isaiah chapter 62 is one of my favorite Old Testament scriptures and he's speaking over the city of Jerusalem and he says he says to the people of Jerusalem and I believe to every person who has ever been saved I think that Jerusalem just stands as a representation of God's people for throughout all eternity he says You are the crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. The royal diadem in the hand of our God. That God is going to display His His glory through you in such a way that forever people will see what He's done in you. This isn't about you or This is about what God has done in you. Forever they will see what God has done in and through your life, and they will marvel at the glory and the goodness of God. Yes, you. Yes, you. I know every single one of us is thinking the same thing. I am just barely making it. I'm just barely scratching by in salvation. I screw up all the time. I haven't accomplished any gigantic things for God. I'm just a kid. I'm just a, I'm just, guess what? Billy Graham still feels that way about himself. But God looks at us and says, I have eternal glory to shine through this young man, young woman of mine that I will only reveal to the universe through this one. That's why salvation is so important. what it says earlier in this chapter, that we who are the first to trust in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He is extending and expressing something about his nature and his, and his personhood through us that cannot and will not be expressed through any other. That's why he makes each of us unique. because You are meant to reflect a piece of his glory that nothing else can reflect. Father, let the eyes of our hearts be enlightened that we may know what is the hope of our calling. Father, let the eyes of our hearts be enlightened that we may know the riches of the glory of your inheritance in us, the saints. There's a lot of Bible commentators that will take this verse and say that we're talking, he's the, the Apostle Paul is talking about our inheritance in God. But that is not what it says. Not in the original language, not in the translated. It is his inheritance in us. Jesus wants us to know how much he desires us. And the glory of his inheritance in us and how he looks at us and says, every single day, he says it was worth it. Worth it. You are the inheritance of Christ Jesus. You, and he loves it. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Let me tell you, there are two two pieces of that joy. One is the glory of his father, but the other is you. You are the joy that was set before him. Because he turns around after having saved us from our own junk, and then he says to us, You're my bride. Not only am I gonna redeem you, but I'm making you mine forever. Not only am I gonna fix what you screwed up, but now I'm gonna make you my partner forever and I'm gonna chase you down forever because I am in love with you. The glory of his inheritance in the saints. And finally, that our hearts may be enlightened that we might know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. Father, enlighten our hearts to see how much of your omnipotent power is being set in motion for us do you understand that god has set his omnipotent strength in motion to make you completely joyful forever That's his. That's what he wants. He has set his omnipotent power in motion, his unstoppable freight train of power in motion to keep us full of joy in his glory. That's what he's done. To make you happy forever, as happy as you can possibly be forever in his glory. That's what he's about. That's what he wants. And every single thing that's happening in your life is happening because God is has set his face like flint towards your complete and total happiness forever. And when I say that, please, don't you dare equate that with like, you know, a Corvette or a Ferrari or some kind of guitar or some kind of computer or some man that you're going to meet in the future or some woman that you're going to meet in the future its going to make you happy. That's all bull crap that's going to go away at the end of all this. No, all those things are worthless, empty, little stupid things. God is, has set his omnipotent power loose to create for you eternal joy that will only increase for all of time in himself. He is at work giving himself to you every single day and getting yourself, getting all of your junk out of the way so that you can have all of him forever. Oh! Talk about good news. All of God's infinite power is pushing with all of its might and all the levers in the universe to make you full of joy in his glory forever that's all he wants that's all he wants Do you think there's a problem you come up against that he can't just eliminate? Apostle Paul says, I pray that God will show you how much power he has toward you. He says, if you want to see a demonstration of God's power, let me explain to you the last really powerful thing that it did. It brought Christ... And raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also the one to come, and put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to you. You want to know how powerful God is? That's how powerful he is. Jesus died, went to hell. Yes, he did. Took your sin there. And then God's incredible right arm reached down and pulled Christ up out of hell, leaving your sin behind, by the way. And seated him at the right hand of God. Boom! Now what can he do for you? truth is that we don't even realize it or understand that we were in Christ when he was in hell, and we are in Christ now, seated at the right hand of God. We made it to the end of the chapter and we still have 15 minutes left. We skipped two verses in the middle, though, but I just... You know. <laughs> Talk to me. What's going on? Anybody got anything? Totally understand if you're processing, but I. <laughs> some of us need to process out loud. So let's do some of that. Yeah, That's a pretty big deal, huh?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The Bible does say that. The Apostle Paul talks about it. Not only did he ascend, but he descended. That's where sin goes. Yeah, been processing for like 20 minutes now, but um, whenever you said first, you just said and kind of take it in if God was
1: working on you, and then you said that never experienced God really love you. And you set all those down. I was like wow, I guess I never let God truly love me because I was afraid of being vulnerable. So I've just been sitting here for twenty minutes, hey God, here's my vulnerability. Yeah. So I just kinda
0: remember that cool. That's a big thing. That is a big thing. not easy to do. Not in our relationship with God and not in human relationships. What else? What's going on?
1: first year, um, like, I was raised in church, but, um, my first year is really when I, like, I was talking to so and I made the connection, like, that I know God loves me, but I don't know God loves me. And so, because there was always, like, a disconnect. I just couldn't, like, figure out what it was because I am serving Him. Like, you know, I, I didn't know what it was. And then, um, like, last year was really hard on me, and, um, It was, like, all about being vulnerable with people, with God, and, um, a lot of walls came down, and there's still, like, some that need to come down, um, and I've been, like, my goal for the summer was to stay, like, emotionally open not, um, close off, and so I felt like, you know, I did a pretty good job, but, um.
0: the lord really really loves you. And he knows how he knows how to lead us. And he I had nothing to do with this. But the lord knew you needed to hear that. So he worked his little puppet to say it cuz he knew you needed to hear it. Hear that from him. Um. <laughs> Jesus is serious about intimacy. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to let him know you. He knows everything about you, but he wants you to let the walls down and be open with him. If there's one thing that I run into more than any other with people that have been in church their whole lives, it's that they're not honest with God. They're just not. Not honest with themselves. How in the world could they be honest with God? They're afraid to admit to themselves how they actually feel, let alone admit it to the Lord. But here's the truth He already knows. He already knows. So, Get over it. Be honest with him. And in that moment, you'll learn what it means to be honest with yourself. Say the things that you need to say. There's a guy that I'm talking with, been talking with now, for a while. And the very first time that I met him, he came in and he wanted to talk to me about stuff. And the very first time I met him, he was this Ball of rage. But none of it was coming to the surface at all. And the Lord said to me, he doesn't even know he's angry. But he's furious. And then he began to tell me his life story. He spent two solid hours talking. Telling me about the last few years of his life and how he's had disappointment after disappointment. And at the end, when I finally got a word in edgewise, I said you think you're angry? He went, no. He said, I think you are. And his face turned beet red and he started crying. He said, maybe I am. He had never admitted to himself how angry he was with himself, with the Lord, with his wife, with his parents, he was he had no connection to that. Do you want to know why? Shame. Shame. Shame comes and makes us hide. It makes us hide. We hide from ourselves. We hide from everyone else. We hide from the Lord. We hide. Because it feels better. Be being mad is embarrassing because it means that somebody else has the power to hurt me. Being sad is embarrassing. (coughs) The sooner we're willing to face the mess (laughs) that we have on the inside, the sooner God can start healing us. But if we're not honest with ourselves and if we're not honest with him, we will not be healed. We can't be. And for me, that has resulted in some pretty heated conversations with God over the years. Where I've had some rage building up, and I've not been acknowledging it. And I finally go to the Lord, and He's like, Are you going to talk to me now? And I start talking, and I'm not nice. And I don't say the these and the thous, and maybe sometimes I even let a bad word <gasps> escape my eye. And at the end of my tirade, the Lord says, are you done now? And he begins to show me all the lies that all my rage was built on. So you felt that way because you actually think this about me when this is the truth. You felt that way about yourself because you actually think that this is reality, but no, this this is what's really going on. And it's only when I'm honest with myself and honest with God that God can come in and begin to set things right. But as long as I let shame make me hide, I can't be healed. And I really sensed that while I was praying that there are some of you in this room that are you are so bound up by shame. You don't even know who you are. You have no idea who God is. You can't feel a thing. And The Lord's saying today, He's saying, it's time for us to go deep. You've been in the shallow end of the pool your whole life. It's time for us to go deep. And your shame is keeping you hiding here where it's safe. And the Lord says, I want to take you out deep and I don't want to drown you. Will you let me? Do you trust me? Yeah. Uh,
1: before the start of my first year, we had all missions and we did the prophecy room gave me a very in-the-proxy room, a very mellow picture of what you actually saw. And then we had a real conversation under the stairwell mm-hmm. about the line of Judah chasing after me with his teeth 4 and his claws out. And that was like, okay. And then it started making sense as like through my first year, I started letting the walls down. But it wasn't me letting the walls down, it was me letting God tear everything apart. And it was, it was painful, but it was good. And one of those things that I didn't let him touch was shame. and not until the end of the year. But I didn't give him time to work on it, and then that's what he's been working on this year so far. And it's still, I'm being torn apart and ripped apart raw. And you said, You're the inherit- the inheritance of Christ and He loves it. That like coming from a an acknowledged shame mindset doesn't make sense. <laughs> so like knowing it and feeling it completely different.
0: Shame is unbelievably powerful. One of the reasons it's so powerful is that we honestly think it's that it's coming from him. I should feel bad about who I am because I'm not I'm not what I should be. You know that there are languages in the world that don't have that they don't have the idea of should or could. They can only talk about what is. But there's no, they don't even have the concept of should. Sometimes I think they're more healthy than English. Because it's should and could that lead to shame. Not what I should be. I'm not what I could be. There's a whole TED talk about that. You should check it out. Let's pray and then we'll go be done. I love what you do, Holy Spirit, you're good. Lord, I pray that this time together would be the beginning of some things, but and the end of some other things. But I pray that it would not be just an hour and a half that happened that we forget about. Jesus, you are a jealous lover. You're after all of us, and you will not be satisfied until you have all of me and all of each person in this room. And you will not allow anyone or anything else own us or touch us, including shame. You are so violently opposed to shame that you spilled your own blood to destroy it. Come, Lion of the tribe of Judah, roar in our midst, rip shame from inside of us and make us completely yours, sold out, in love, fascinated, Overwhelmed, completely yours. Nothing held back. Nothing held back. In the name of Jesus.